greatest of all time. And if you missed out being with us at Easter, we really kind of honed in on, um, you know, this term GOAT. We use it to represent, um, you know, our favorite athlete typically that we think is the greatest. And, and I, made a, 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 I made a statement of truth that offended a lot of people <laughs> that, uh, that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time. We lost a few members over that statement. So Sorry. Maybe you can come back. <laughs> no, but uh, no, seriously, LeBron James is definitely awesome. But I think we all have these, you know, these people that we recognize have been really great in their field, the greatest of all time, thus GOAT. And at Easter, obviously, we went into this thing recognizing who is actually the greatest of all time, and that is Jesus, that he would die for you and me, that he'd give his life so that you and I could have life. Now, that's the greatest of all time. And then we moved into this passage of Jesus speaking in reference to this greatest of all time. And it's our, kind of our key scripture for the entire series. It's found in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 11. You'll see it on the screen. But the greatest among you will be your servant. What Jesus did 2,000 years ago was he reformatted the hard drive. He repositioned and re-identified what greatness is. And we live in a culture still today left over from thousands and thousands of years of concept that the greatest is the one who gets to the top first, the one who fights their way up above everybody else, the one who makes everyone else wish they could be them by being better than them, by working harder than them, by stepping on whoever they have to step on to be great. And we've identified greatness with wealth. We've identified greatness with overcoming, you know, physical, you know, limitations by way of, you know, jumping further, playing better, uh, whatever it may be. We've identified that our culture has for thousands of years, and that's what greatness has been to us. But Jesus took that whole pyramid, and he flipped it upside down. He said, no, 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 in my kingdom, the greatest is the least. The first is the last, the servant of all. <laughs> An entire different, different worldview. And we talked about last week how Jesus, as he's at the Last Supper, he goes to each one of his disciples as they are arguing Amongst themselves, they get a seat at the table of the divine moment where Jesus is instituting the new covenant, and they're arguing about who's the greatest amongst them. And Jesus takes the towel, the Bible says, and he wraps it around his waist, and he begins to go and wash their feet. And he identifies for them the new kingdom concept that the greatest is actually the servant. That in my kingdom, when you get to heaven, he's not going to value you and me by how much money we made or how big our homes were or how many degrees we were able to obtain. Our value in heaven will be based on how well we served. Were we actually a part of his kingdom concept? If you've ever been to another country, you'll recognize real clearly um, that the way they do culture and what they value many times are totally different than what Americans value. It's amazing when you're in another country and you see their, if you will, their DNA or their style or their, you know, a way of doing things. When we get to heaven, we will know for a fact that what God said was valuable is not what this old world said was valuable. And so it's my job as your pastor to bring you out from the old thinking of brokenness into the God thinking that the greatest amongst us 
is the servant of all. So it's with that that all throughout April, we went about serving our community. I'm telling you, we have had teams go out and small groups go out. They have cleaned, they have cleaned uh, storage units. They have painted buildings. Can you just give yourselves a hand if you serve this month? And we've got weeks left still, a few weeks left of serve projects. And I'm just so proud of each and every one of you. And we'll even look into that a little bit better. But today, in our third part of our series, Go, I've subtitled this, The Gift. Everybody say the gift. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. We may even read into verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Each one should use. Each one, that means all of us. Everybody say me. He's talking about you. He's talking about me. He says each one should use whatever gift he has received to do what with it? Say it out loud. I know you don't want to say it, but say it out loud. To serve others. Faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Verse 11, if anyone speaks, he should do it as speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. I love that verse 10, Peter's telling us that we should use whatever gift we have received. This word receives means that you didn't work for it. This word receive means that you didn't, uh, that you didn't have merit based on it. It was a gift. Everybody say a gift. Turn to that person next to you and say, you're my gift. You're a gift to me. There you go. I'm helping marriages right here, right now. Each one should use whatever gift he has received. The reason why this is important, because you and I need to understand that we are entrusted with a gift. It's not even actually ours, because the next part of that verse 10 says, administering God's grace, faithfully administering God's grace. God has given you and I a gift to faithfully administer. In other words, it's not ours. We've been entrusted with it. It's on loan from God. The gifts in your life are on loan from God to accomplish God's purpose in the earth. That is an anti the way you were raised thinking. That is anti your view, worldview. You are being given gifts so you can be successful. That's how you think. In fact, you, you worked these gifts. You, were, you inherited this knowledge. You, you have worked hard to get where you are at. That is the worldly thinking that most of us have been raised in and still propagates our Christianity. And as a result, we cannot enjoy our Christianity. We can actually be fulfilled in the things of God because we don't have a biblical worldview. We have a world worldview. We have a wicked worldview. And so when you and I come to the revelation, wait a minute, the thing that I'm good at, the thing that I feel so empowered to accomplish in life is actually a gift on loan from God that I am to administer to others because as I administer through this gift, it actually propagates the things of God. It says it like this, so that administering God's grace in its various forms. How many are grateful for grace? Come on, say it again. How many are grateful for grace? And what this scripture is teaching us is that when you and I use our gift loving others, it actually is administering God's grace to others. It's actually propagating this beautiful grace that we have received. Not that we get are condemned because of our sin, but grace has been extended to us through the cross of Jesus. And the gifts that we've been entrusted with helps propagate God's grace. That's what this passage is saying. And then the Peter lists out a couple little things. He says, you know, those who, those who um, you know, speak, should speak as though they're speaking the words of God. Serve, they should serve as, as though the greatest words of God. Each and every one of us, have these gifts. I'm not a big fan of gift cards because 
I lose them. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. I just, like, I know they're there somewhere. And so you guys, some, it's so sweet. And you're like, Pastor, I just want to bless you. Here's a gift card to go eat here. And I'm always thinking the moment you end it, thank you so much. And I think, Lord, don't let me lose it. <laughs> Jesus, don't let me lose it. In fact, let me give you a couple of national stats. And that is the United, United States adults have more than $20 billion worth of unused gift cards. $20 billion right now of unused gift cards. Be honest, if you have an unused gift card right now, just lift your hand. Let's see. There it is. See? 50% of U.S. adults have unredeemed gift cards or store credits. I'm thinking right now. I mean, it just hit me while I was in prayer about this whole thing this week. I got, I got, that, I got that store credit. I could go get me a suit at KNG. I forgot about that from two years ago, which is now... Expire. There you go. I've lost it. 25% of Americans have left a let a gift card expire. If you've let a gift card expire, lift your hand. Let's be honest with it. See, there you go. Unused gifts. 22% of us have lost a gift card. If you've lost a gift card, be on it, on it, just on it. There it is. Okay, there you go. All right, so, so what happens to gift cards is we forget about them. And I'm telling you, whoever came up with this concept was brilliant. They're making money hand over fist, and you're not even using what has been given to you. Are you sticking with me on this thought? God has entrusted gifts to us. I wonder how much of our gifts that God's entrusted are we not using. I wonder how much is being unredeemed. I wonder how much is being lost. I can tell you it must be a lot because the national statistic is that 82% of Americans claim to be Christian. Well, if 82% of Americans claim to be Christian, we wouldn't have the racism we have. If 82% of Americans were Christian, we wouldn't have the misappropriations and leadership that we have. So something's being uh, not used properly. There are some gifts that have not been quite, if you will, uh, redeemed. They are sitting there and they are being lost and they are expiring because we've not used what God has given us to faithfully administer his grace to a hurting world. This is where the broken spot is. And if you and I today can catch the concept that God has entrusted us with gifts so that we can change the world together. And if we can wake up a little bit and go, man, I'm not using my gifts. I didn't even realize I had that. I, I, now that you say that, Pastor Adam, you're right. When I was a kid, I really I had an awareness that, that God wanted to use me to do this. But I, I kind of got in the way, you know, just having a family and just trying to make it through life. I don't really, you know, I don't even dream like that anymore. I used to dream like this. That was God stirring you guys in your giftings and the things. See, I believe that the gifts come in multiple ways. I believe that some of the gifts that you possess are in your DNA the moment you were born. God put them in you. And then I believe there are other gifts from God that happen the moment you get regenerated and you say yes to Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit comes and abides in you, boom, he brings gifts. And then I believe as, as well, as you grow and mature, all of a sudden gifts are entrusted to you because you and I would never entrust our four-year-old with a brand new Ford F-150. Right? And so as that, as that person grows, God says, and now I can entrust you with this too. Oh, wow, now that you've, you've proven faithful in this, I can now entrust you with this so that you can faithfully administer God's grace to a hurting world. Are you tracking with me? Say yes. 
And so there's a number of places in Scripture that they lay out a few gifts. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talks about these what we call the power gifts, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, words of knowledge, words of wisdom, prophecy, tongues, interpretation of tongues, gifts of healing. Those are so cool, and we are all about that here in this church. Some people believe that those gifts went away when the apostles died out. We do not believe that. Some people say, well, God needed those gifts to be able to start the church. Well, I believe that, but I believe that he also has to keep those gifts to keep the church going. And so there are power gifts, and you will experience healing in this church. You will experience prophetic words in this church. You will experience words of knowledge and words of wisdom. Those are beautiful, powerful gifts. And we see multiple places in Scripture where they lay out some of the gifts that are accessible to us or that we may possess. I want to draw your attention today to Romans chapter 12. Go there with me, and we'll look at this little teaching that the Apostle Paul gives the Romans in chapter 12. Uh, We'll look in verse 4. It says, just as each of us has one body with many members. So he's connecting how you and I were created by God to what the church is. Just as each of us has one body but many members. In other words, you got a hand, you got a foot, you got a toe, you got a kidney, you got a heart, you got a liver. He's got all these different parts. He says, and these members do not have all the same functions. And everybody say, amen. Come on, they do not have all the same functions. You're a part of this body called Hill City, and I'm so grateful that you're not like me. Thank God. We don't need too many of me. We'll mess it all up. The reason why churches are broke down and not healthy is because its members are not acting the way they were created to act, doing what they were created to do within the body. So if you don't have the kidneys filtering filtering out poison, poison's able to continue in the bloodstream. Some of your kidneys, you love, 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 love to help people. You have a gift of mercy. That's that gift on your life. Some of you, that big toe, you balance us out. You cut off a big toe, we're all unbalanced. Some of you got a loud mouth, run your mouth the whole time, and all you do is talk, 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 talk. Some of you have that gift. And continuing on, you laughed way too good at that. You should not have been amening so loud at that last one right there. So in Christ, verse 5, we who are many form one body. Everybody say one body. So many form one. Everybody say many form one. And each, ooh, you're not going to like this one. And each member belongs to all the others. I'm going to have to come back to that because you're not going to want to hear that part. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. I want to hone in on that for just a second before we're going to go through these little list of seven little gifts that he throws out here. This is just a, not a complete list, but just, just a, you know, an obscure list of different gifts. But each one of us, it says, these gifts, they've been given to us and they belong and we've, according to the grace given us. So, so you're going to struggle when someone asks you to operate in a gift you don't possess or an expectation, and you don't have a grace for it. When we get into these, one of the gifts is mercy. I do not have a grace for that. I don't. Like, it was the hardest thing for me to even consider being a pastor because I'm just really, I don't have a mercy gift. I have a charge the gates of hell with a water pistol gift. And what is wrong with all you sissies for not, let's go, let's go. I don't have time, don't have patience for you. Let's go! Like, I know you don't, you won't pop and me me coming to the hospital. You do not want me coming to the hospital. Pastor, I'm dying. I pray over you, and I'm like, I don't know what happened to your faith. You should rise up, you big sissy. Let's go. And so then I get all nervous. I'm standing around, you know, I don't know what to do with you. And you're coughing up phlegm. <laughs> Pastor, help me. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, you know, maybe you need to go on to heaven. I don't know. I just don't have, 
I don't have it. I just don't have it. I want to have it more than anything. I love you. I love you. I love you. I just, it's not one of my gifts. And so I try to work real hard to be merciful and kind and gentle and understanding. But at the end of the day, ask my family. We're charging the gates of hell. Whoever dies in the process, we'll see you in heaven. But let's go. We got to push back the gates of hell. Take ground for Jesus. That's how he made me. That's the gifts that I possess. And so I have to camp around me people with mercy. Pastor, hold on to a second. Let's love on them a little bit. Okay, you got it. So let's go through these. He lists out a number of these. He says, um, starting here in verse 6, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, then let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. If it's showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. So let's go through each of these. He starts with prophesying. He says, let prophesy according to your faith. Prophecy is to speak what you hear God saying on behalf of the encouragement of someone else. It is literally calling forth the words of God into people's life. You'll experience that here a lot. You'll see prophetic prayers. Um, as, as we know that COVID is, doesn't have the same strength that it's had, you'll find that we'll go back to laying hands on each other uh, during our ministry time, you know, towards the end of worship. We'd always in the past have been able to do is lay hands. And in those moments, people start prophetically praying over you. I just feel like God's saying this. And Lord, I pray this over you. You'll see that. You'll have people give you words here at this church, prophetic words. And they're learning. They're growing. They're growing. I am very careful never to help. I, I always challenge our people. Don't ever say, thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. If you say that and you get it wrong, then what do we, you a false prophet. In the Old Testament, they stoned the false prophets. And so what you might want to do is give a little bit of credence to your humanity and say, man, I feel like God's saying. That way, you know, I might be missing it, but I feel like that's God's saying. I had a a friend in my life that called himself a prophet. I'll never forget when he prophesied to this family that they were going to have a little boy and it came out a little girl. Talk about mess up their life. Had to repaint the bedroom. Return all the toys. The Toys R Us, remember them? And so prophecy, in biblical times, prophecy was considered one of the most impactful gifts. It was considered a stage above all the rest. And what I love that the Apostle Paul does here in Romans, he puts it in the list of all the other gifts. Thereby, what he's saying is, oh, it's not any more valuable than all the other gifts. They're all valuable. They're all needed for the body to work. Because Because in Jewish culture, they gave special uh, uh, attention to someone who could prophesy. (gasps) They're speaking for God. But you know how many idiots are speaking for God? You've never had a parking lot prophecy? You've never had a, you know, know, something weird that you're like, man, I don't think that's right. Well, you haven't been in church long enough. Keep coming. Somebody's going to get you at one. And And so I love that the Apostle Paul puts it in proper order that, hey, it's amongst All the beautiful gifts, they're all on the same value level. And then he moves to the next one after prophesying. He talks about serving. And he just clearly says, if your gift is serving, then do it. Just do it. Just serve. You talk about serving is is practical assistance. Practical assistance. I love to serve. I love to help someone and their practical needs. And some of you have been, I mean, we've been doing that all month. You've been going and just cleaning out, cleaning out uh, sheds and painting buildings and, and just loving people. And, and, and just and, and practical assistance, just helping. It really is just helping. And then here he moves to the next one. If it's teaching, then do it. Teach. Teach. What I love about Hill City is that we've given everyone the opportunity to use this gift. 
Get in a small group. Start teaching others as what you've learned. The problem is if you've grown up in a particular church where the teaching was the one up front. Do you realize that lecturing does not change people nearly as much as mentorship does? Do you know that? If you don't, back up to way back in the day. McDonald's figured it out. How many of you guys had McDonald's as a job at some point in your life? You worked at McDonald's, okay? All right, those are with your hands up. Do you remember how when you signed up to work for McDonald's, they, they took you out on a retreat? Remember the retreat, the, the opening retreat? And you went out on that retreat where you stood there, uh, and, and they lectured you, and they went through all of the PowerPoints on how to make a cheeseburger and how to dip the fries. You remember that? That's because it didn't happen. What does McDonald's do? They hired you at 16. They set you next to a 17-year-old and said, do what he does. He goes, all right, bro, look here. This is what you do. You put the ketchup. There you go. And slide it on down. Get the nose Now you try it. No, 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 not a. Just a. There it is. Let's go. There it is. And they serve more people food every day than anybody else. Why? Because people think that teaching, because someone messed with your mind, and teaching means that you have to have 17 degrees, and you have to be an expert in the field, and you have to stand there. Listen, the greatest teachers in my life, these older men and women in the faith, they didn't have degree work done. They, no one had them preaching at their churches, and they just pulled me aside, Pat. Young man, let's talk a little bit. Come on, let's go. Let me teach you a little something, 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 something. And they mentored me and discipled me. That's the best. That's why we do small group life. Get in a small group. Get you some teaching. Get in a small group and share with others. You don't have any idea. He said, Pastor, I got nothing to give. You've had three marriages. You got a lot to tell us. You can coach us on what not to do. I'm going to tell you that right now. If you hadn't learned after three, dear Jesus. I mean, you got so much wisdom. You've had 12 jobs. You can tell us how to be better. You've got so much teaching in you. Are you still there? Say yes. And then the next one he gives, he says, encouraging. If your gift is encouraged, he says, then let him encourage. Do it. Just do it. If your gift is encouraged, well, you know, I just don't know if I have permission. My God. I got a big old hunking uh, lobby out there. We made it twice as big as the sanctuary so you could stand out there, drink lattes, and talk to people. Why do we do that? It's very strategic. So someone could come in here just sad about life, and they can't get to the pastor, which they shouldn't anyway, because it's not even my gift, and you're standing there having coffee with them, and you can say, hey, how you doing? And then start encouraging them. Some of you, that's your gift. The moment you start encouraging people, you, your wife is like, can we leave now? You're like, no, I have more to encourage. I want to talk to this person and this person. It's your gift. Your wife may not have it. She may be ticked off about your gift. But at the end of the day, you are pushing forward God's graces into the earth when you use your gift. Administering God's grace into a broken world. Here's the next one. He says contributing to the needs. He's actually talking about giving financially. Some of you, God has blessed with a heart to give. And I love that. In this church, we've identified two types of givers. We've get those who have a gift to give. In other words, God has gifted you to make lots of money. And Lord, I pray you just add more to this church. Lord, just millions and millions. And then there are those who have the heart to give. And Jesus identifies this when he's there at the temple and all these people pouring in all their money into the tithe basket. And this little old lady comes and put her little pennies in. And Jesus says, Woo! She gave more than everybody else. <laughs> and the disciples are like, Uh, are you blind? Like she gave two cents. I mean, it's nothing. It's worth nothing. And Jesus said, No, no, she gave. She gave from what little she had. You talk about percentages. These dudes were given 3%, 5%. She just gave 80% of what she had. He said, watch in heaven what that's going to be like. Watch what she's going to get. 
And so, you, so, so there's a heart to give and there, there's a gift to give. And oh, I always pray that those come together for people because I pray for those who have a heart to give that God would give them more resources than they know what to do with. Have you ever had anybody give you something that you couldn't afford yourself or help you in a moment where you, couldn't, you, didn't, you didn't have any other way? Can I tell you something? When that gift is activated in the body of Christ, the Bible says in the New Testament they had no wants. No, all their needs were met. They were all met. What we've done is we systemized it. 2,000 years later, we've systemized it. you got to jump through this hoop, through this hoop, and maybe if you tithe and you're nice enough, maybe the pastors will shine down on you and give you a little bit of extra. We have some from the budget. We will give for you. Have you tithed? Oh, no. You've got to go to another church. You no give gifts here. We only give to those who have been faithful members. That's why in our church we don't do that. We don't even have a benevolence fund. You say, why not? Because you're the benevolence fund. I'm the benevolence fund. If we all get in small group, then what happens, listen, I grew up in a mega church my whole life. You know what we would do on Mondays? We would sit around, 22 pastors on staff, we would sit around trying to argue which of the people that we met with on Sunday had the greatest need with our little bitty benevolence from, from this mega church, and we would all fight. Well, I've got a lady who can't pay her house note. I've got a single mom whose car is getting repossessed, and, we, and we're grabbing we'll do. And so we had to create all these little things. What I love about how we do it here at Hill City, you're in a small group. They know. They know. Oh, y'all, I just need help. I just need help. Well, can we start with how many packs of cigarettes you're smoking today? Because you can't pay your light bill, but you're spending all this. And we love you. we family. But let, we're not going to throw money into a hole that's leaking out everywhere. we got to get you straight. And that's, what we need is help. What we don't need is somebody just throwing things at us to make their ease their conscience. So this gift of giving, this gift of contributing to the needs, ooh, that gift comes with some good stuff. These people are really gifted, all right? How about this next one, leadership? Now, that's my main gift, leadership. And he says, literally, govern diligently, leadership. There are those of you that have a gift of leadership, and you've never even helped us in this church. We need 50 small group leaders right now. You know why? Because I refuse, I refuse to have people come to our church and no one loves on them, and they have no relationship with anybody. That's not the church. That's, that's some type of, uh, you know, some type of organization where they get good messages and they go home. That is not the body of Christ. That is not what the New Testament church look like. It says they were together. They had things in common. They had relations. They met, they met generally. They had a big meeting once a week in the temple course, and then they met house to house. And it actually says that when you come together, everyone should bring their hymn, a psalm, a spiritual gift. They should share it with one another. Well, they couldn't do that in the big general meeting with thousands of them. In fact, the church, the church in Jerusalem, was, they estimate about 50,000 people. Can you imagine that service? I have a word. Sit down. Pastor's got to preach. I have a song I want to sing. Shut up. There's no way they could have done it. So what they did was they met house to house, and they had these, they had these groups, these pods, these squads, their peoples, their, their friends, their, their relationships, and in, in those pods, in their little groups, if you will. And, and we didn't know what else to call them, so we just stuck with small groups because everybody got life groups, this group, Hill City groups, whatever. We just called them small groups because we want you doing life with other Christians because it's in that space that you actually can help one another and serve one another. As iron sharpens iron. So one brother sharpens another, another sister sharpens another. And what we found in the American church is all we want to do is hear a little message, get a little twinkling of it, a little tinkling 
tickling of our ears, and then we go home and feel a little bit better about ourselves and keep living the way we've been living. But when you're in small group life, you got people that check on you, know you, you know them, and you're helping one another grow. It should be shameful for you and me that we've been saved 15, 20 years, and we still got the same problems we had 15, 20 years ago. We're not growing. We're just sitting there in an endless cycle of circling the wagon, circling the wagon, and we never grow. That's not what God intended. Shouldn't be nothing more frustrating to me. I traveled the world for about 10 years preaching in churches all over the world, all over the world, all over the nations of the world. And the most discouraging people to me were people who had been saved 30, 40, and 50 years. They still grumpy and mean and lack of faith. You've heard that much of the Bible. And you're still a knothead? Like, you got to be kidding me. Like, why am I doing I was like, this thing don't work. I need to quit. Oh, but then I found some. I found some like Chris and Donna Hart. I found some that have been around a little bit. I don't know, like Wendell and Kissy Jubert. I found some that just keep growing and keep maturing in the things of God. And I found some that, you know what, the, what they were, they're not anymore. What they were last year, they've overcome. What they went through 10 years ago when their baby died, they've overcome that, and now they give life to everyone they get around. That's what it's supposed to look like. And so right now, we got people getting saved. I ain't got nobody to disciple them. I got anybody to be their friend. People come to church, we love this church. How do we connect? Well, I don't know. I ain't got no leaders. I got some, but I need about 50 more. And you've got a leadership gift on your life, and you're holding back on that. That's why the body of Christ is suffering, because of the leadership gift. How about this last one? I've already mentioned it quickly, but the gift of mercy. He says, and those of you with the gift of mercy, let him do it cheerfully. Happy to show mercy to others, to give kindness to others. Oh, man, the sweetest people on the, on, on, in this church should be standing at that front door. Should be standing right there. Listen, it's so, when you see someone who's got their, they're looking around like, what is this? I just showed up at a rock concert. Like, the first time someone walks into our service and the way we worship and the, and, the, and the lights and that kind of stuff, it scares some people, especially if they came out of denomination. They're like, is this satanic? What is this? It's our expression. It's our expression because we're a multi-generational church. And so, so our 20, 25, and 30-year-olds, they, they love that. Those of us that are over 50, we're we like, hmm, where's the hymns? But we're mature enough to say, you know what? Let me help that person over there make this transition into what worship can look like now for them. Mercy, showing mercy, giving kindness. And, and, and so there, list out these seven. There are nine spiritual gifts. You say, I don't really know which gift is mine. And that's why, shameless plug, you should go to our grow track. Because in our grow track, step two, we take you through a profile to help you with a series of questions that help you identify which of these gifts have you been entrusted with. There are other gifts. There's gifts of kindness. There are things that God has done that he uses as a gift to help others. It's magnificent how God will take and use you and me to actually change the world. But let's go back to verse 5. And it says, each member belongs to all the others. <laughs> that is not the American church. We belong to ourselves. That's why we can bump around from group to group to group, disconnect, connect, disconnect, connect, because we never come into ownership with each other. We never come into, I got your back, you got mine. But Paul is teaching what the New Testament church was and what the church is supposed to look like, that each member belongs to all the others. My gift is not for me and for my selfish ambition. My gift is for you. It, we belong to each other. You know, I've just about given up on professional sports. 
I, I just really get frustrated. And I'll tell you why I get frustrated. Because it's become so about money that the poor little athlete, they, he's going to get passed or she's going to get passed around from team to team. And they're going to they gonna sign these contracts and they've got to fight for their own. And it's mo nothing more frustrating when a team knows they're not, not going to make it to the playoffs to watch their players half play because they don't want to get hurt because they want to be able to be picked up by another team at the end of the season. They don't even want to be on this team. College sports, on the other hand, these guys, they know they're not going anywhere. I think it's what, like 15% of them actually make it to professional the next level. And so 80, 85% of these guys, they love the team. They love the team. I, belong, I, will, I will throw my body in harm's way to tackle this guy so he doesn't score. The passion, the camaraderie, the do it all for the team. This is what the church is supposed to look like. It's not supposed to be a bunch of professionals that are, that are protecting their own interests. It's not about my ministry. It's about the family of God succeeding. It's about the church. And that's what he's saying. We all belong to one another. The concept is this, is that we're on this team together. And whatever I got to do to help you score, and whatever you got to do to help me score. And when we turn our affection and our attention off of ourselves and our protection off of ourselves, and we begin to protect one another, and we get... Get, got each other's back what happens is that's what people call revival because it's so supernatural and it's what the early church has and we hadn't seen it in hundreds of years in the in the local church because it's just been lost because of this selfish ambition but jesus said the greatest among you is the servant of all if we can just get that straight that these gifts that i possess are not for me they're for you that, that I've been entrusted with this so I can administer God's grace to you and to a broken, hurting world. And as, you, as I minister that to you, you minister that to me. And then my needs are met. As, as, as I'm helping this one, this one's helping this one, God's got it all figured out. You say, well, I've given and no one's ever given back to me, friend. Can I tell you? That is not true. God will always, he, the Bible says very clearly, he will not be shamed, he will not be mocked. Whatever man sows, that shall he also receive. God will take, he will take and take care of you. You say, well, I gave to that one church. I'll tell you, I, I gave to the building fund. I gave to this and nothing ever came of it for me. Friend, that is not true. If you go back, I guarantee you God made miracles in your business. God did supernatural promotions that you never saw because he will not, he will not be indebted to any man. He will not. And when we give to one another, even if the selfishness around us is not causing us to receive back in return, God himself will take leadership on that for you. He always does. He always does. So let me give you a couple thoughts why Christians don't use their gifts to serve others. Number one, write this down. Ignorance. Now, ignorance, I know that sounds like a harsh word. It, it actually, the original English just means a lack of knowledge or a lack of understanding. And I could have wrote that, lack of understanding, but it just was more words. Ignorance was one word, and I, I could use that a little easier. But ignorance, a lack of understanding, a lack of real knowledge. Do you understand this, that the word is very clear, that the word minister and the word servant in Scripture are the same thing? This is our ignorance. We think only the person who went to Bible school, who is a professional minister, they're the ministers, and we are the receivers. That's actually anti-scriptural. Let me prove it to you. Turn with me quickly to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, it's also talking about these other gifts that God has given, talking about people. 
verse 11, it says, It was he, talking about God, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. Verse 12, why did he do it? To prepare God's people for works of service. It actually, other translations translates it out like this, to prepare God's people to do ministry. So that the body of Christ may be built up. My job as a pastor is simply to equip you for the work of the ministry. You are a minister. I don't know where you came from. I don't know if the priest made you feel like you were second level, you know, believer. You can't be close to God because you don't have all this knowledge and understanding. That in and of itself is a lie. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're alive and his Holy Spirit lives and abides in you because you're a Christian, you've made yourself, committed yourself to the living God, you are a minister. You have ministry gifts. You have the opportunity to help. You have the opportunity to serve. That's all ministry is, is serving my job as a pastor in the pastoral staff. We've stepped into a leadership role to equip you so that you can do better ministry, so to encourage you, to strengthen you. Josiah, come run up here with me real quick. I want, I want to illustrate this for just a moment. When you and I get free from the concept that we're not ministers because we're not on staff at a church. I, I teach at a Bible school, and I'm constantly telling them that's a lie. Your ministry is what comes out of me. It's not what I do for, for a profession. It's not, it's not what I do for a profession. Ministry is what comes out of me. Whatever you do as a profession, God will use that to minister to others. Ministry is what comes out of you and me. It's not what we do for a profession. Come stand over here. So I want to illustrate this. So I, I'll play the part of Father God. Josiah will be a good-looking Christian. All right. And so God, and his wife's on the front row going, yes, he is. Yes, he is. He's mine. And so God gives us gifts. There you go. Hold that one right there. So awesome. Maybe it's a gift of mercy. I don't know. And he says, well, you know, also I want to give you this. I want to give you a little bit of compassion for that person over there. Hey, oh, you're not going to believe what I'm going to give you right now. Now that you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, look at this gift I'm going to give you. <laughs> look at that gift right there. Woo, but you know what? I'm not done with you because you're such an amazing man of God. I got this pink bag. It'll show your feminine side. No, no, no. What are you doing? <laughs> There you go. Put that, hold that right there. There you go. There you go. There you go. Oh, man. This wonderful thing that I want to give you now is so powerful. There you go. And listen, you know what? You've been saved now three, four, five, ten years now. You know what? You need this one, too. This one's really going to help you. And then how about this one, too? This is another gift that I want you to walk in. There you go. There you go. Now, faithfully administer all the gifts I've given you. Oh, wait. wait. Oh, I've been waiting for this one till you hit the 10 mark of Christianity. I've been wanting you to begin to move in prophecy, so here, take that. And this is the average Christian. You, a, you don't even know you have gifts. And B, you don't ever share them with someone else. Pastor Tony, come stand up here with me. So the only way I can continue to give, the only way the Lord can continue to give and pour out fresh new gifts is for Josiah to do what with what he's already received? Don't turn your back to him. Come stand up here where everybody can see you. There you go. There you go. You done dropped that one on the ground. That one died. That gift's dead. And so what's he got to do? Come on, help us out. What's he got to do? He's got to start giving it away. And the more he gives it away, the more he gives it away. There you go. Look. Uh, the more he lets go of it, guess what happens? Now God can start giving some more back. And start using some more. So here's the problem. Stand right there. Stand right there. Here's the problem. You come to church. You come to church and you just get filled up. 
oh, and you get more, more excitement, things of God, and you never share that or give that away. And you don't even realize that you become like the Dead Sea. I had the privilege of, of visiting the Dead Sea. It's the Dead Sea because all the water goes into it and nothing leaves out of it. And so it's dead. Nothing can live inside of it. You want to come alive in God again? Start using your gift. Start serving. Start encouraging people. He said, Pastor, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting on the Lord. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. I just, I just, no, I just, I just love kids. I just, you do, you do know, they cry every day. Oh, God, send somebody to help us with kids' ministry. Oh, God. Oh, God, help us so much. You have no idea. He said, I just, I really like encouraging people. Do you understand that welcome team, that cafe team? They are praying every day. Oh, God, wake them up in Jesus' name. Send us somebody. But here's what happens. We get so comfortable receiving that we've forgotten how to give. And he says he will get, he's given us gifts, Romans says, so that we can faithfully administer God's graces. Or sorry, the Peter passage, 1 Peter 4. So we can faithfully administer God's graces to others. Tony is now blessed because Josiah got something from the Lord and he gave it to Tony. And Tony now, look what he's walking away with. At the same time, guess what God's doing for Tony? Tony, here, I got something for you. I got some more for you. I got, look, you don't let Josiah have all those big gifts. You get a good gift too. There you go. And this is how God has gifted the believer. But can I tell you something? Why would I give him anything else when he, he's not even using what he has? So I can't entrust anything more. And you're like, God, give me more. Give me. God's like, I am not. I love you too much. Because you're going you're gonna to end up crushing yourself under my blessings and my favor. Because you never give out to anyone, and you have nullified the movement. If the body of Christ activated its gifts and began to love one another with the gifts entrusted with us, we would have, we would have no poor people in our church. We would, we would not need the government to help us help poor people. We, we've handed that out because we've given up on the gift of mercy. And we said, nope, nope, not going to do it. Don't want to do it. I'm going to live for me. I'm going to live for me. going to live for me. going to live for me. Me and my family, we're going to live for me. And we've got to break that. We're spending the whole month to break that. Listen, what we saw in 2020 was our fault. It's the church's fault. It is not the government's job to fix broken people. They can't because they're broken themselves. It's only the love of Christ that goes down into the broken places and actually heals. You can't do that with a system. It comes from the spirit of the living God. Do you know who started all the original hospitals and care systems? Christians. And now we've become so selfish and so self-focused and protecting our own. You know what? You can't take from me what I'm willing to give you. Come on, we give these guys a hand. You can set it down right now. Number two. Here's number two. Here's the second reason why uh, we don't use our gifts to serve others. Number two, write down fear. Fear. Here's the second reason. So, Pastor, I know I have some gifts and, and I know I'm supposed to use them, but... Man, I'll be honest with you, you know, I just just don't want to fail. I don't want to go to encourage someone and then they don't receive it. I don't want to give and it's not received as a blessing. I don't don't want to show mercy only to have have condemnation put back on me. And so it's that fear. And and you and I have to get set free because he didn't give us a spirit of fear, but power, love, and a sound mind. Years ago, so, so we grew up with nothing. And so I wouldn't have said that I had a gift of giving, you know, contributing to others' needs. 
And so I share all the time about the different cars that we've given away and things like that. And I'll never forget the first time was so difficult because I was viewing everything from what I always have need of. And I've always been the person that had to scrap and fight to get there. I never had it handed to us. Our family never had it handed to us. Uh, my, my mom and dad, uh, you know, my mom had me out of wedlock, you know, at 16. She got pregnant with me, 17. Single mom. Pop came into our life. He didn't have anything. He's coming off a $200 a day cocaine habit. We're getting radically saved, but we didn't have anything. They didn't give me a ministry. They didn't, I didn't inherit these wonderful things. But what I learned from them was how to serve God with all of my heart. And at 18 years old, they left me and went to the mission fields by myself. It was the greatest gift ever. Because I saw their love for hurting people is the greatest gift. And that got in my heart. And it became a part of me. So I'm your pastor today because of what my mom and dad went and did and sold it all and left comfort and left ease. And they went out on the mission field, learned the language, and got their, you know, got their lives put in jeopardy all the time just so they could bring people to Christ. It was that that got inside of me. And so as a result, it's the greatest gift I could ever have received from them. And so as a result, I minister from that place. And, and so I, I'm happy to give. Now, I'm happy to give that away to help this person or that person. I, I, it wasn't natural for me. But as the Lord began to grow me and mature me, I was able to come to that place and be more like Jesus. And it all came from a fear originally that I wouldn't have mine. If I give this away, what's going to happen for me? It was, and I could not get into kingdom thought. I, I, I was stuck in a world thought. But when I got into kingdom thinking and I began to have a biblical worldview that if I give, he will take care of me. Can I tell you something? I've never made a lot of money and we've given so much away. I mean, Jamie and I give it all away. Can I tell you? We have, I, well, I don't look fat, do I? I, I ain't missing a meal. I, we, we've always had a roof over our head. We always drive a car somewhere. I mean, we, we get to where we need to. It's magnificent when you get out of this old world system of thinking and you get over into kingdom thinking and the way God does things. And I promise you, you and I, when we get there, what we want to do is not be poor when we get to heaven. Come on. Do not store for yourself riches in this life where moth and rust do steal, but store for yourself riches in the life to come where no one can take it away from you. The goodness and the kindness that you share, the gifts that you share, I promise you, according to scripture, they're being stacked up for you in heaven. So get past that fear. God will help you with it. Ask the Lord to help you. Here's the third thing or the third reason why people never actually activate their gifts and use their gifts for God. And that is number three, because they're never asked. No one's ever asked them. So I'm asking you today as your pastor, would you use your gift to serve others? Whatever it may be, I'm asking you, on behalf of the Lord, would you, not just in our church, but at your job, in your neighborhood. I'm so grateful that some little man came around getting kids to go to Sunday school. I'm so grateful for him. Changed my life, changed my trajectory, changed my family's trajectory. Every one of you have been ministered by our family because of one man going out, picking kids up to go to Sunday school. Use your gift. I'm asking you, I, I'm asking you now to stop thinking all about you, you and yours and how can you help and how can you serve others using your gift because when you use your gift you want to talk about fulfillment you want to talk about fulfillment the late hours the, 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 the hard work Oh, but when you lay your head on your pillow at night knowing I'm being used by God to change lives my little part 
is doing something supernatural. Friend, can I tell you, that is, that I, I'd rather sleep on a bed that doesn't have any springs or any cushion knowing that when I get to heaven that Jesus is going to look at me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. To sleep on the finest mattress in a gold-plated bedroom in some far east country. Friend, I would much rather be pleasing to the Lord than to be pleasing to this old world and this old world system. Are you-